San Francisco was recently named the most popular destination for gay people. Well, the most popular destination for closeted gay people is the Vatican. Late night talk show host Seth Meyers has a bit on his show where he invites two female writers, one black and one gay, to tell the jokes that Seth, a straight white man, cannot tell. This is Jenny, the gay one. Hey Seth, you know what lesbians and nuns have in common? What? They're lesbians. Huh. So what is a nun? Well, she's a spiritual wife and a spiritual mother. This is Dr. Tracy T. Meyer a professor of comparative theology at Loyola Marymount University, where she teaches a course on the history and current standings of women in religion, which I was lucky enough to enroll in last year. One thing we never studied in class, though, is the idea that jokes, like the one told on the late night show, are often shaped by reality, or at least society's perception of it. And yet, it's a joke that women, that communities of women religious are safe spaces for gay women. Jokes are such a clear way to point out that we still have this problem in society. There's still people making these jokes and there's still people laughing at them. Welcome back to Mormon Lesbian, where I discuss the oh-so-complicated ways religion has shaped our perception of sexuality. I am your host, Jennifer Linnae Lee. And today, I'm going to share with you the powerful story of equal rights activist and advocate for survivors of priest abuse, as well as author of Split, A Child, a Priest, and the Catholic Church, Mary Dispenza. If I am the Mormon lesbian, she is the gay nun. I feel incredibly lucky to have interviewed her and that we were able to meet at a time when both of us were open and willing to share our stories. Because for Mary, this hadn't always been the case. Hello. Hi, Mary. For almost 40 years, Mary buried two pivotal pieces of her identity from the world and from herself. The first of which her therapist wouldn't let her continue to ignore. Mary had gone to therapy for years and had always shut down any talk about relationships with women until one day... I was in therapy, and the issue had come up before about women. And I said to my therapist what I just told you, no, I, you know, I don't want to talk about women. Women aren't... I'm not doing women. <laughs> and Mary's therapist said to her... Unless you deal with your issues of sexuality, you will never know intimacy. And that was something that I really longed for, um, an intimate connection. Mary left therapy in a tizzy and did what I would consider a rite of passage for questioning queers. For my generation, it's an online quiz entitled, Am I Gay? Or some variation. For Mary, it was a trip to the local library to track down some queer literature. I went to the bookstore and library and I was so embarrassed to go search for books about LGBT lesbian. And (laughs) I I I felt like like I didn't know a single thing about a lesbian person. Now, let me paint you a picture. So I went to to the library and I... I, A 50-something-year-old woman sits down in front of a computer in her local library. I remember they had just switched to uh, 
to using computers where you would put in the word. Her head constantly turning left, then right, then back again, ensuring the coast is clear. And I, I, I remember putting in that word lesbian and mm-hmm. just like thinking, oh, everybody in the library seeing this flash right. on all the computer screens. And <laughs> so I just got out of there. And then I went to a bookstore, and same thing, I was so embarrassed. I picked out these three books. I can still uh, remember them. Amazing Grace, Mm -hmm. which is a beautiful book. Lesbian Sex, Mm -hmm. and the third one, Coming Out, an Act of Love. Mary even recalled turning the books over so the cashier wouldn't have to read the titles. With each one of them, he'd flop it over, turn it over. I bet that killed you. (laughs) Oh my God, lesbian sex. So, okay, I sat with that for the week, and when I went back to therapy, I said, I just said, yes, that's it. And she didn't know what I meant. And she put her head, I can remember her putting her head down because my therapy was connected to the archdiocese. So I think she knew the complications it would pose. Despite growing up in an offhandedly religious household, Mary has held a deep devotion for Catholicism since her youth. She attended Mass and Sunday school regularly as a child, as well as private Catholic schools as a teen, where she was a prefect and leader in the Sodality, a group for Catholic youth. So it was really the church and spirituality and liturgy and prayer was central to my life all all the way to the point where I entered the convent. I just loved everything about being Catholic. At the age of 18, she decided to join the Sisters of the Sacred Heart of Mary, even though her parents tried to stop her. They thought it was a total waste of life. They were not practicing Catholics ever since I was little. They baptized us. They knew the value in Catholic education, but my mom was not a Catholic, and my dad never went to church. In fact, they they sent me to Chicago about two, three months before the entrance date hope I would fall in love with a boy that lived upstairs above my aunt, Sunny. <laughs> and it so, didn't work out? No, that didn't work it's out. unbelievable. And being a nun was a life of prayer, service, dedication, love, and all the things that mattered to me. The convent encouraged Mary's education and allowed her to work toward a bachelor's degree in history and English during the summers. But during the school year, the convent asked that Mary take up the vocation of teaching, as well as being a principal, the latter of which would ultimately become her career. Which did you prefer? (laughs) Teaching first, Uh, second, sixth, or being a principal? Being a principal. Yeah, Yeah, but I uh, absolutely loved the kids, the children and the students. And I liked teaching too, but believe it or not, there was more pressure for me around teaching in relationship to being prepared and doing a great job and correcting every paper. And mm-hmm. That being a principal, I had more freedom and opportunity to be creative. I like being a leader. She worked at schools in San Jose, California and East LA before eventually moving to Washington to culminate her 35 years in education. While Mary felt a a great sense of accomplishment from working with children, other aspects of her life in the convent ceased to fulfill her. And just like that, Mary left. I was 33 when I left my religious community. Mm -hmm. And from age 33 to 52, 
along with my career and different things, I struggled around sexuality, issues of sexuality. And it was at this time that Mary, a now former nun, took advantage of her new freedom to explore the wonderful world of dating women. So I'd fall into relationship with women and I'd get very, very guilty. And then I would say, I can't do this. I'm a, I'm a Catholic school principal. Um, I'm, it's bad, it's wrong. And then I tried to be heterosexual. Mm. <laughs> and then, then I'd meet men, uh, some very good men, wonderful men, and I, it just wouldn't work. Mm. And I'd try so hard, and the the sex piece wouldn't work, the intimacy wouldn't work, and then I'd have to be honest and break it off with them with the man because it wasn't fair to the man who would were falling in love. The Catholic Church's official stance on LGBTQ people is that you can be this way in your body, mind, and soul, but you cannot act on it. You cannot be a practicing gay. And so gay nuns are a rare breed. They simply aren't allowed to exist. As far as our expert Tracy knows, the historical documentation of gay nuns is far and few between. One example being the revered Catholic mystic of medieval Italy, Benedita Carlini. Historical accounts suggest that she took a lover in a fellow nun, who eventually accused Carlini of molesting her at a later point, after which Carlini was imprisoned for the rest of her life. Not necessarily a, a heartwarming story. Aside from unique and horrific stories like Carlini's, we have to rely on inference. I think if like if there's no his, like historical evidence of it clearly happening, I think if you go from like a point of gay people exist and gay people have to have existed during these times like yeah. under these conditions, where would they have like steered themselves to? Yeah. My speculation and feel free to share your thoughts with me on this is that becoming a nun would have been the ideal situation for gay women throughout history and even into today. Mary is a prime example. Mary's life and heart remained heavily intertwined with the Catholic Church, because for nearly her whole life, that was all Mary had known. She both continued to be a principal at Catholic schools and to bear the weight of her prior covenant with God. So all the while she was dating women, Mary both continued to be a principal at Catholic schools and to bear the weight of her prior covenants with God. Mary was dating women, but she couldn't even stomach the word lesbian. So it's sort of like you said, you, you have that, that church Catholic identity running yeah. alongside of, you know, your, your journey of growing up, your sexuality, your affections, attractions. It's, it's so hard to accept that word. Um, it, it's amazing, isn't it? And think about that. That's the success of the Catholic Church and churches. Churches yeah. and how deeply ingrained into us was the fact that it, it is wrong, an abomination in the eyes of God. So no wonder yeah. we're ashamed and we can't hardly say the word. Some time passed and eventually Mary was appointed to the esteemed position of director of the Pastoral Life Services for the Catholic Archdiocese. And it was then that Mary decided to swear off women for good in order to preserve her career and standing in the church. 
Little did Mary know just how much this position would change her world. While listening to Mary's story, I myself became curious about the historical precedents for women sacrificing their happiness and freedom to be a part of Catholicism. So I asked Tracy if she could explain women's relationship to the Catholic Church starting over a thousand years ago. She began by explaining how women usually couldn't own or inherit land, which in medieval Europe was the main source of power, of course. So let's say, for example, it would have been very important for parents who had all daughters, for example, to make sure that they got married into certain circumstances to, to people where somehow the land, the family land could be maintained and it wouldn't just go to, to someone else. So the women were parts of broader economic and political systems, and they were seen as pawns in those economic and political systems. Women having even the smallest amount of power was just unheard of, and therefore they rarely had any autonomy. So you're on the one hand dealing with centuries of patriarchy, where women are not individuals, but they are dependents of either a a husband or a father or a brother. And yet um, women's religious life offers many women a sense that they're their own people with their, maybe not their own people because that's kind of a modern assumption, but that they have a vocation and a life in relationship to God that is beyond their biological limitations. Because they didn't have to get married, they didn't have to be pregnant all the time, and of course your freedom is restricted, but also it's very dangerous. And many, many women died in childbirth. So the idea that you could join a community, receive education, dedicate your life to your pursuits, even if they were God's pursuits, was something that was seen as very liberative. As director of the Pastoral Life Services Department, one of the things we had to do is take a workshop on the sexual misconduct of clergy Mm -hmm. and that is what (laughs) woke me up to the fact that I had been abused by a priest. Mary can now speak about this traumatic topic with confidence but but it was something she kept from everyone her parents her friends and like I said even from herself until she, at this point, a now 40-something-year-old woman, unearthed her suppressed trauma while attending a mandatory workshop about handling priest abuse. How I believe really my spiritual journey started was at seven I was uh, molested, raped by the parish priest. At seven years old, Mary was still a child. A child too young to read chapter books. A child too young to know the severity of the wrong upon which she was inflicted. A child too young to know who to turn to. And so Mary turned to the only person who could know her sorrows without her speaking them. And when I think of my spiritual journey, I think of it starting there because... I turned to God, even as a little second grader, I believe I already knew that God loved me and knew my most secret thoughts. We learned our catechism, you know, God knew even your most secret thoughts, words, and deeds. 
and we were taught loved us anyway. So I believe it true that I never told anyone about about my abuse, but I told God, and God became my friend and my confidant. And from that point on, I've talked to God, and God has been um, a significant central rock, I guess, mm-hmm. of my of my life and journey. Mary's love for God and the Catholic Church helped her to move on. And that's part of why she had clung to the church so tightly for so many years. I split from my abuse and kind of put it over somewhere or buried it, just left it. Imagine having this terrible secret, the secret that could change the way people look at you, change the way you look at yourself. Burying it seems like an incredibly appropriate way to survive. And trusting in God to love you despite your secrets appeared to Mary as a recipe for salvation. After Mary opened up about her abuse, the time seemed right to open up about her other big truth. I've come to believe that maybe one telling one big truth helps you, allows you, or helps you tell the another truth. And it was then that her therapist urged her to address her repressed sexuality. And she did, like I mentioned before. But now the question is, at what cost? You know, I was on fire with telling the truth now. Yeah. Mary told her colleagues and tried to set up a meeting with the bishop, well knowing that it could result in her termination. But he never met with her. When Mary finally saw the vicar, the bishop's representative, She basically told me I should be quiet, that if I would be quiet, I would, you know, there'd be no problem. Mary was fired at the end of the school year, but she kept pushing to see the bishop, and finally did that summer. And eventually he saw me, and I think he didn't see me because he knew, and he didn't want to confront me or embrace the conflict, I guess. So finally in that summer I saw him, and for me it was a very, very, very sad moment because I knew my life in the church, which I had really loved, and given over half a lifetime to was over. Mary went to human resources to make a complaint and and I was basically told churches can do whatever they want mm-hmm. and nobody can stop them. And that was, you know, a wake up for me. Amidst all this turmoil, Mary was still so excited to explore her new identity. You know, for right or wrong, when I came out as I told you, I was so excited. And luckily for her, She happened to find a class at the University of Washington on gay and lesbian literature. Even though the class was full, she showed up on the first day, along with 20 other hopeful students to try and forge their way into the class. Before the class started, the professor came out to address them. What happened, he went around and he asked everybody a question or two, and he got to me and I, I think I said I just came out and I had to be there. And anyway, he took me, so that that introduced me into the gay lesbian community in that all the all the students were mostly young, gay mm-hmm. and lesbian, and it was really fun and great. This class gave Mary the affirmation she had been searching for her whole life. There was like no no stopping me now. I was who I was, and if it Whatever price I had to pay, you know, I paid it. 52, age 52 on. I went on as an activist. 
I needed community because community had been my whole life. I needed service. I needed to be connected to people that shared similar values. So I gravitated toward the GLBT community, and I worked with here in Seattle to pass equal rights and non-discrimination in the workplace. And then eventually, it was marriage equality. It took Mary a decade after leaving the convent, but she no longer identifies as a Catholic. Ever since I left, I've had no desire to change the Catholic Church. I felt that would be giving more of my good energy to a system I really had no... I'd yeah. lost affection for. Just out of personal interest, I asked Mary how her parents responded to her being a lesbian. He was like, he always was pretty good about everything, meaning I believe he said something like, I, I've always believed in you. And it was more like, if this is how you, what you believe and how you want to choose to live your life, I'm, I'll, I'll always support you, something of that sort. If fell short from saying, oh, I'm so happy that you finally found yourself and yeah. in turn that'll probably mean more happiness for you or something. He, he wasn't that kind of happy, but he was okay. But I know he carried shame about it because a, a few friends of his, I knew he hadn't told them when I got together with them on one occasion. So I think he really wasn't totally at home with the whole thing. And he always had his dream, too, that I would marry, and why didn't I marry, and things like that. But I think for our parents, unless they're very evolved, it's a, it's very difficult because they have to have their own coming out. And, and I always think, uh, well, if it took me 52 years <laughs> to, mm -hmm. to work through all of that and finally have the courage to say yes this is indeed who i am and how i love um why why wouldn't it take them some time to hopefully come to terms with it like even just listening to you now i'm kind of tearing up a little bit because there's so many yeah there's so many yeah. similarities mm -hmm. um, each time that you can tell your story or come forward i believe we get power over it in a good sense this has been Jennifer Lene Lee sharing the story of Mary Dispenza on the topic of gay nuns for Mormon Lesbian. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe so you can be notified when I release new episodes. And as always, if you have your own story about religion or sexuality, please send it to me at themormonlesbian at gmail.com. In the next episode, I will be addressing the Taoist religion and its history of allowing same-sex couplings. Until then, thanks for listening, and go be queer, religious, or anything in between. <laughs>